0: I want you to take, uh, let's take 45 seconds, let's greet one another in the name of the Lord. Find somebody, say hello to them, tell them you're so glad to see them in church tonight. Hey, this is good. I believe when believers get a chance to fellowship, you ought to have to shut them down because it'll just keep going and going. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, if you have your Bibles, um, I'll I'll tell you what, um, why don't you be seated for a moment? I just want to discuss something for a little bit here with you and give you an opportunity to give us a little bit of feedback um, before we get into our study tonight. Because what we're going to do is... um, I understand how critical and important it is that uh, we receive the Word of God in order to grow as Christians. Um, We enjoy worship, and uh, we enjoy evangelistic preaching that encourages us, and uh, we see people filled with the Holy Spirit or giving their life to the Lord. That's encouraging. But the Word of God is very, very important for us to grow spiritually spiritually. And uh, so uh, we've encouraged as many as possible to do your best to try to read through the Bible this year. And we have a number of people that are up to date. My wife and I have been challenging one another. Uh, I'll say, How many days behind are you? She said, I'm up. How many days are you behind? I said, Well, I'm three days behind. Well, she says, You better get busy. And uh, so we're encouraging one another and, as the Bible says, provoking one another to uh, good works for our own benefit. Uh, but. Uh, When you read through the Bible, it's very, very healthy, and it kind of is continuously affecting your mindset and your perspective. But what I think is important from time to time is for us to stop and pause and focus on a particular portion of the Bible. And uh, what we're going to do for the next uh, probably at least six weeks is we're going to spend an entire six weeks looking at one book of the Bible. And the book of the Bible that we're going to study expositorily is the book of James. Everybody say James. James is uh, a great book of the Bible, and the emphasis or focus on the book of James is about growing up spiritually or becoming mature. And I think that's a very, very important uh, 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 thing to focus on for us as Christians because, unfortunately, there's lots of churches, lots of people in churches. Who never grow up spiritually. Even though they've been going to church for a long time. Their conduct and the way they interact with people. And the way they deal with situations and trials. Shows a lack of maturity. It never really happens for them. But before we just to get our juices flowing. I want to ask a question and see if anybody has any input. Of why you think this is the case. And here's the thing that I want you to consider. In the last several years. In evangelical or Christian circles, there has been a, tr- a transition or a shift in the focus of preaching. Uh, and uh, ministers, preachers, pastors, evangelists, kind of the whole gamut, focus more and more and more and more and more on the benefits of living for God and less and less and less and less and less and less, and less, and less about the responsibilities of being a part of the kingdom of God. And uh, some of you that are old-timers, that you've been going to church for a long time, um, you can relate to this. You can remember when there was preaching and teaching that had a lot of conviction to it, that uh, was about this is what should be happening in your life, or these are changes that should be uh, taking place in your life, and a lot of preaching against sin and uh, things that would offend God's holiness and God's righteousness and a lot of that kind of preaching, but now you don't see as much. Anybody have any ideas as to why it might be in our current culture that we see this transition away from uh, responsibilities-focused preaching to benefits-focused preaching? You hear more about the the benefits of living for God, the blessings of living for God, what, what you can receive. Anybody? a lot of a lot of word about tolerance yeah. and and you think that why do you think that is you don't want to fan you on or hurt anybody it goes back to where mm-hmm. where they say uh whatever religion you are it's all the same thing it's all going one way It's all going, uh you know in the same direction exactly and and you do see this and and I think the reason we see this is the deeper issue is in in our culture there is Less and less and less tolerance for any message that is absolute or a message that is uh, exclusive. In other words, this is the way. There's increasingly less and less tolerance for that. That's very, very, uh, very clear, very profound. There, that, that there is a, uh, the idea of keeping people happy, making them feel good, and then the financial reward that comes from that. And uh, I guarantee you that there is a lot of truth to that statement. Yes. Right, 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 Right. we've produced, right, right, and we've uh, been so careful about their self-esteem, you know, that, um, can anybody see any dangers in this? Uh, I mean, there's the obvious danger of, if you deviate from the truth and you're not speaking truth, but what other dangers could you see perhaps in this? Sister Rose. Exactly. Exactly. Very good. Right. And I can say when we do preach on it or we bring it up, you know, it's like that's your conviction, brother. Right. But it's it's what was taught when we got saved. Exactly. And when we got saved, the word of God is not wrong because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And when the troubles and the trials come, it's those core values that that brings you through. The songs are. Absolutely. I'm sorry no, that's fine. It like the yeah. <laughs> you know, like, wow. yeah. You know? yeah. Vanessa. Yeah. Bin Laden. big tent expand the tent and get everybody yes and w- one thing that like personally when i look at like a, a contemporary christianity what kind of i get the impression of is an endless marketing campaign for jesus and it's like people are like okay we already bought why are you still marketing me and uh uh and you know for instance if i went to uh, to uh work for a large corporation and um Uh, i agreed to work in this job and then uh, i come and for my training and for six weeks all they do every day is tell me about the benefits of working there how that you know hey you get health benefits and you get to hang around with some cool people and after a while it's like okay you know I, i already signed up i'm here now tell me how do i make the boss happy how do I fulfill my responsibilities? How do I succeed here? And uh, and I think um, w- what I see is as we've been mentioned, like a lot of people who are shallow Christians, and they they subtly begin to get this impression that as a Christian everything's supposed to be perfect, and it's supposed to be happy, and you're supposed to have plenty of money in your pockets all the time, and you're, nobody's ever supposed to be sick, and uh, um, and uh, then they get sick, and then they go through a rough time financially, and they think well. Uh, number one, maybe they were lying to me, maybe this Christianity is not what it's cracked up to be, or maybe I'm doing something wrong, or maybe God doesn't love me. When if you got into the Word of God beyond the surface level, you would discover that trials are a normal part of living for God. It's a part of growing spiritually. It's how you grow spiritually. And uh, so there are a, a lot of problems. And the Bible says that this is a sign of the end times also, that um, that, that the time would come, the Bible says, when men and women would not endure Sound teaching or sound doctrine. They would have no tolerance for it. They wouldn't have stomach for it, but instead they would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Well, that phraseology means people that will tell them what they want to hear. So instead of enduring sound doctrine that's going to make them better, that's going to make them healthy, that's going to produce growth, they won't be able to endure that, but instead, They want to go somewhere where they can hear what they want to hear. kind of reminds me of my daughter, Brooklyn, who will not eat vegetables and wants to eat candy all the time. And as parents, we can't allow that. Understand? We have her in our authority, so we're able to enforce that. But what if she was like so many other Christians who don't recognize themselves as children? And when they are asked to eat vegetables, they say... I'm going to just go over to this house where they have candy all the time. What happens? They end up being hurt by it. They end up uh, not growing and thriving. And we've studied that uh, too much sugar in the diet of a child uh, produces serious problems, especially if they have allergy issues or uh, in certain intolerances. It only makes it worse. But all that to say that uh, in order for us to grow spiritually – Sometimes we have to be provoked to good works. Amen. And the book of James is about, uh, ultimately it's about growing up and becoming mature. And it's about having our faith shown uh, by good works in our life. So we're going to be talking about growing up. If you want to stand together, we'll read James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Those of you that want to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, James Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And we're going to focus tonight only on the first 12 verses because I want to give you a little background information on uh, uh, the book of James. James, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing so verse four right there is basically kind of the focus of the entire book of james if you wanted to say well let's get it down to one verse verse four let your patience have her perfect work so the trying of our faith works patience and that patience when it is fulfilled will make you perfect and entire wanting nothing now before you freak out a little bit the word perfect here does not mean what we think of as perfect what it means the word perfect here means complete and mature it doesn't mean sinless it means grown up completed and mature so god's will is that we would grow up in the book of james in verse uh, chapter 1 Verse 4 gives us the emphasis The idea is that there are things that happen in our life So that God can perfect us So that we would grow up and be mature Christians Amen God bless you, you can be seated We'll be looking at verses 1-12 uh, uh, through 12 As we study But before we get into that I just want to share with you why I feel like that this study is so important And something that's kind of grave That's worth thinking about That we don't think about very much. One of the things is, is the Bible lets us know that there are going to be a lot of people who think they're saved that aren't going to end up being saved. You ever heard that before? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Matthew seven twenty two, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. In thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess to them. Then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So this is not Old Testament. This is New Testament. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me now? This is not some hardcore Old Testament under the law stuff. This is Jesus Christ. And, and the context here, if we were to read the verses before and after, is it's not about whether you say Lord, Lord, or whether you operate in the gifts of the Spirit, or whether you know all the lingo of Christianity. It's about whether you do the will of God, whether you obey the commandments of God. Jesus said, in the last days there will be many that will come. And uh, say, Lord, hey, we, we did all these things for you. And he says, depart. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. So I think, uh, I think the fact that there will be people who think they're saved but are not saved is scary and worthy of our attention. As we look at chapter 2, we'll look at people who have faith that's not saving faith. All right? Because there is a faith that saves, but there's a demonic faith, the devil's fear and tremble. And there's a dead faith that we'll talk about in chapter 2. Uh, and then the second thing, that I, the reason that I think this study of James is going to be important, is that spiritual immaturity is probably the number one problem in the church today. And you know what? Spiritual immaturity was probably the number one problem in the church back in James' day as well. One of the number one problems, and the reason it's a problem is that God has big business to be taken care of in the world today. Amen? How many billion people in the world today? Six point what? Six point four? Your guess is as good as mine. Well, they're being born and dying every day. I don't know. Six point something. Billion people. God has called Us into this area to evangelize southern california 26 what million people And so it's a big job that we have to do and the job cannot be done by babies You can't take your five-year-old and give them a briefcase and send them off say go make some money for mom and daddy They got to grow up first And the work of god's kingdom has to be done by grown-up christians It can't be done By people that are still spiritual babies. So this is a very, very important issue. The church should not be an enormous playpen. It should be a workshop. We should be busy doing God's work. And it's impossible for us to really be and do what God wants us to be and to do if we're not grown up spiritually. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. uh, The Apostle Paul says, And I, brethren... Could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ, I've fed you with milk and not with meek with meat, for hereto you were not able to bear it, neither now are ye yet able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? The Apostle Paul is saying, These are some of the ways that we can tell some of the symptoms to the fact that you haven't grown up yet. And so this is an issue that we will address in our study as we study the book of James. Now, as we study, we've got to look at who is this James guy. Did you know that there are four different James mentioned in the New Testament? And uh, first of all, Judas, the one that betrayed the Lord, his dad was named James. And then there were, did you know that there were two different disciples named James? There was James whose brother was John they were called the sons of thunder James and John you heard Peter James and John That James was martyred His uh, he was run through with the sword. He was the first martyr of the new testament church He was very impetuous and aggressive for the the cause of the kingdom So you have James the father of judas. You have James the brother of John And then another James who was James the son of Alphaeus, and we don't hear much about him uh, but we do know The likelihood is that he is a brother of Matthew because the Bible says Matthew was the son of Alphaeus as well. So uh, they could have been brothers. But the fourth James is the one that's attributed this work. And it's likely that he's the one that wrote the book of James. In fact, most all theologians agree to that. This James, there's an amazing point, just like the Apostle Paul. This James was not even a believer while Jesus was on the earth. He was not even a believer. When Jesus was crucified, despite the miracles, despite the things that had happened, he reserved his willingness and ability to believe in this guy until Jesus died on the cross, laid in the tomb, came out of the tomb. The Bible says that Jesus showed himself to James. And from that point forward, James was a believer. Now, here's the cool part of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Anybody remember Paul Harvey? The rest of the story is James was a kid brother of Jesus Christ. They didn't have the same father, of course. Jesus was fathered by the Holy Spirit. James was fathered by Joseph, the espoused husband of Mary. But they had the same mother, Mary. So they grew up together. And while James did not believe the message, the ministry of Jesus Christ... When he saw the resurrected Christ, 1 Corinthians says, God showed himself to James and to the disciples. When Jesus showed himself, that was enough impetus to give him faith to not only become a follower but to become a leader in this kingdom of God that Jesus Christ had established to the point of allowing himself to be martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. That is an awesome, awesome proof of the fact that the resurrection really happened. Did anybody get that? I mean, who's going to die? Who's going to lay their life down if they didn't really see Jesus raised from the dead? And so James, the brother of Jesus Christ, who was not a believer until he saw the resurrected Christ, became a leader in the New Testament church and wrote the book of James. Another, uh, just some information uh, about him. He was a, a very respected Very credible, respected apostle. Uh, And he actually became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Now, back then, their churches didn't have like a big building like, okay, let's go to the Jerusalem church. And they came to this enormous building, and there's 20,000 people there. The church was spread out all over town in houses. They would meet together in synagogues and temples, but they recognized the authority of the bishop or the overseer. In this case, it was James, the brother of Jesus Christ, who pastored the church in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul himself, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, refers to James as a pillar of the church. So he was a very respected man. And, and uh, we, we can't read it in the Bible, but history shares with us that James himself was martyred, that he was... Uh, thrown down in the temple court in Jerusalem and beaten to death with clubs. And while the men were beating him, James repeated the words that Jesus Christ repeated on the cross, which was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, He was a, a deeply spiritual man. History says that James prayed so much that his knees were like the knees of a camel, hardened You know, camels will go down and and actually sit on their knees. And this is the historical account of James. And we know that he was highly respected among the other apostles and the the followers of Jesus Christ in this baby Christian church. And we figure this out in in Acts chapter 15. There was a a great uh, uh, symposium, if you would, or a conference where the Christian leaders came together. And had discussions because there were so many Gentiles coming into the church. And they were wondering, should they be required to uh, uh, obey the laws of the Sabbath? Should they be circumcised? Should all the laws of Judaism be imposed on these new Christian believers? And they had their debate back and forth. And everybody spoke their piece. And when finally everybody had spoke, then James stood up. And he made his final statement. his statement was kind of the E.F. Hutton statement. Everybody listened. He said, uh, it seems good to the Holy Spirit. It seems good to us. He reinforced it with the Word of God, and he came to a consensus that everybody embraced and accepted. So James had a a great reputation. He was uh, very respected among the other apostles and the other followers of Jesus Christ. And As we mentioned, he's a man of prayer, and we see the emphasis of that as we begin to study the book of James. Also, James was a forceful personality. When you read the book of James over 50 times there are imperatives That means a statement where do this anybody remember that from studying English what an imperative sentence was pick up the trash Go out that door Stand up. Those are imperative statements and in the book of James. He was one that was used to Giving instructions. He he was a commanding style of a leader now when we look at the book of James one thing that uh we want to find out is what is the purpose for the writing? Why was this book written in the first place? All the different books in the New Testament, the epistles especially, uh, had their own special theme, audience, destination, and purpose. And James was writing to Jewish Christians who were having problems in their personal life and having problems in the corporate church fellowship. They were experiencing difficulties with testings, and they were being tempted to sin. And uh, one of the big problems that we can see that they were having as we study the the larger book is uh, in many of them, they were failing to live what they claimed to believe. They would say one thing, but then their life didn't reflect that. We also see that uh, there's a lot of emphasis put on the danger of the tongue and learning how to control it. Also, there's a lot of emphasis on the danger of Worldliness. So all of these problems that we recognize and see that must have been in that Jerusalem church that James is addressing as he sends it out to the other churches as well is that it's pretty much the same problems faced by the average church today. But all of it's not just a list of problems. All of these problems kind of have one root cause, and the cause is spiritual immaturity, people who haven't grown up. And so the Christians that James is addressing here is are those that have not grown up. And so the theme of the book, there are five chapters in the book of James, and kind of the theme of the book are marks of maturity or ways to recognize maturity in yourself as a believer. And uh, so as we study over the next few weeks, here are five marks that we'll see of a mature believer that uh, are, are, uh, are mentioned. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, so, as we said, we see often in James the word perfect, the word perfect, 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 which we said means mature and complete, not sinless, but balanced and grown up. And uh, the problems that James mentions and deals with are kind of uh, similar problems that we see with children. How many know that kids are impatient? Can I get an amen? Somebody? Uh, not living what you say, no control over your tongue. fighting with one another, coveting what the other person has. A lot of these are characteristics in the physical realm of children. And so we see, spiritually, this is the same. So chapter one, we're going to talk about a Christian that is mature is patient in testing. And uh, we'll study that tonight, and we'll study it the next week when we come together. Chapter 2, we're talking about a mature Christian practices the truth, not just believes the truth. It's not just a hearer, but it's a doer of the word. Number 3, a mature Christian has power over his tongue. We'll talk about that. Number 4, a mature Christian is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. It's a peacemaker. And then number 5, a mature Christian is prayerful through his troubles these are marks of maturity as defined by James in the uh, uh, in the letter that we read now if you want to gain the most from this study uh, you got to be willing to examine yourself in the light of God's word and uh, look at the word as a mirror the Bible talks about that in James 1 the word is as a mirror that we look into and we recognize see well the problem is we compare ourselves among ourselves that's what the Bible says and, and, uh, the, and But God's plan is that we would look in and examine ourselves in comparison to God's word. Because uh, if we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, we can be prideful. We can feel better than another person. Or we can select someone who's so far below God's expectation and say, well, I'm better than them, so I'm okay. But the Bible says we examine ourselves not based on what somebody else is doing. But we examine ourselves based on what the Word of God says. So we, we must honestly examine ourselves and then we've got to obey what God teaches us and not just be a hearer of the Word, but be a doer of the Word. Because guess what? You're going to be blessed through this study. But you're not going to be blessed just by sitting here and studying, but you're going to be blessed when you go out and do what the Word says. You begin to put it into practice because the The blessing doesn't come from studying. The blessing comes from doing. The blessing doesn't come from hearing. The blessing comes from being not just a hearer, but a hearer of the Word and a doer of the Word. So one thing about spiritual maturity that I want to warn you about is that it is not always easy and it's not always pleasant. Um, Spiritual maturity. How many can remember your teenage years? They were fun. They were crazy. But they were very awkward. There were difficult times trying to maneuver. I, I uh, had the privilege, if you would call it that, of teaching eighth grade when I was uh, a newly, grad, newly minted college graduate. I went and taught eighth grade. Kids that are 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, they were the big kids in the class, bigger than me. They, they like been there for a while. Anyway, but what I, what I learned about them is, is it's an awkward transition time because one day they come in and they want to be treated like children. The next day they come in, they want to be treated like adults because what is adolescence other than the bridge from being a child to being an adult? Or the bridge from immaturity to maturity so just like the adolescent or the teenage years are kind of awkward and uh uh filled with some frustrations and failures the same is true with spiritual maturity but just like with going through our teenage years you just got to keep going and then you'll enter a wonderful life of maturity and uh have opportunities and uh, have privileges because you have grown up. And the same is true with us spiritually. As you go through the awkward stage of going from being a baby spiritually to becoming perfect, as the Bible says, which doesn't mean perfect, but means complete, grown up, balanced, and mature. When you reach that point, it's, uh, uh, it, it, there you find a tremendous amount of blessings, but it's something you have to work at. You don't just wake up one day and say, well, I've been in church 10 years now. I guess I'm mature. Because you can grow old without growing up. You can be around for a long time. The Bible says at one point the Apostle Paul says, you've been here long enough. You should be growing up now, but you're still drinking milk from the bottle. Because it's not a matter of passage of time. It's a matter of being focused on it and desiring and recognizing and allowing things that happen in life to cause you to grow. Uh, Galatians 4.19, the, the uh, Apostle Paul says, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So there's a travail in the new birth experience, but then there's another travail, and that is coming to that point of maturity. But don't give up, because when it gets stressful, you might be on the verge of a new and wonderful blessing in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. So mature Christians are happy, And useful Christians who help to encourage others and to help build the local church. Now, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, focuses on trials and uh, trials that happen on the outside. We're going to look at that for a few minutes tonight. And then next week, when we come, we're going to look at how to deal with temptation because that's what he deals with beginning at verse 13 how to deal with temptation. Is there anybody here that would like to learn how to face trials and experience victory in trials instead of difficulty? Anybody willing to learn that, to go through trials instead of letting it beat you up and discouraging you and stealing your faith and leaving you bleeding and uh, sorrowful and discouraged where you can come through a trial and be victorious? That's what this is talking about. So I think it's good for us to study uh, this passage of Scripture um because here's the thing without trials you can't reach spiritual maturity without trials you cannot reach spiritual maturities and and uh, I've heard before people say what, what what do you do if life serves you lemon anybody know what to do Make lemonade. Make something pleasant pleasant out of a sour experience. And and I think that's biblical, even though the Bible doesn't say make lemonade out of lemons. But we do see many stories in the Bible where people turn defeat into victory, and they turn their trials into being an overcomer and being triumphant. They went from being victims to being victors. And verses one through twelve of chapter one talks about turning trials into triumph. Now, in these in these twelve verses there are four commands or imperatives That james tells us to do and I and we're going to look at these four because these four are the very things that help us Turn trials into triumph and help us become Overcomers or victor, victorious through our trials and uh, they are first of all He tells us to count in in chapter 1 verse 2 In chapter 1 verse 3 he tells us to know and give us an imperative. No and then in in uh Uh, Chapter 1, verse 4, and then verses 9 through 11, he tells us to let. And then finally, in verses 5 through 8, he tells us to ask. So uh, these are the four things that we're instructed to do to learn how to turn trials into triumphs. Now, if that confuses you, that's to be expected because that's why I'm going to continue teaching here for a minute because you're like, right now, that doesn't help me at all. Okay, I understand that. Uh, But number one, count. Let's read James chapter 1 verse 2. Somebody read it out for me. James chapter 1 James chapter 1 verse 2 read it out loud. Anyone? Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. All right? Or well, the King James version says, "Count it all joy." Somebody got the King James version and just read "Count it all joy." Anybody? Yes, brother. Mario. Anybody, King James? No, King James? That's wild. Okay, but, okay, brother Rick. <laughs> King Jaime. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it joy, or this translation says, consider it joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it joy. So the key to the word count is having a joyful attitude when you fall into temptation, when you fall into trials. So the Bible says have a joyful attitude. So one thing that you need to understand that we need to get is that our attitude, Outlook determines our outcome. So if I go through a trial and I can't count it joy, then it's going to affect the outcome of the trial. And we're told to expect trials. It's not if you fall in, but it's when you fall in to trials, when trials come, not if trials come. And the Christian life was not intended to be easy. The Bible says that, there, that, that we would come through much tribulation. Oh, have you heard that before? You'll embarrass yourself. <laughs> Much tribulation. Now, some of the trials that we experience are simply because we're human beings. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be tragedies. But there are other trials that come specifically because we are Christians. Satan fights us and the world opposes the church. Anybody believe that? That's true. Amen. And uh, when it says, count it joy when you fall into, it's not talking about like, like falling into, but it's, it's just the word encounter. And uh, it says diverse trials. That means various and multicolored trials. Count it all joy. The word count is a financial term. It means to evaluate When we are faced with a trial, we must evaluate our trials in the light of what God is doing for us and through us. So dedicated Christians can have joy in the midst of their trials. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. He did some accounting there. He counted it against the joy that was set before him, and because of that, it enabled him to endure it. He evaluated it and was able to endure it. The problem is we have a value system sometimes that makes it difficult to properly evaluate things. If you value comfort over character, it's hard to really count it joy when you're going through trials. But if you value character over comfort, then you can easily count it joy when you go through trials because you know God is doing something there. Amen. If you value materialism more than spiritual blessings, then you may not be able to account for the trials that you go through. If you're only able to look at – here's a good one. If you're only able to look at things today in the present day and you're not able to look at things in the light of the future, then trials are going to make you bitter. Because you're not happy today. But you don't know that happy today doesn't mean happy tomorrow. And some of you are walking in the joy and the satisfaction and fulfillment of the Lord. You may not admit it, but I know it's true. Some of you are at places with God now that you never could have been if you hadn't gone through the hard days yesterday. Through the hard times yesterday. So you can count it joy. You can uh, uh, kind of evaluate it. And see it as joy in the light of what God is doing in your life. When trials come, you can learn to give thanks and to adopt a joyful attitude. This is spiritual maturity. But it only happens when you learn to look at the trials through the eyes of faith. In order to end with joy, you've got to begin with joy. You can't start a trial and get depressed and expect it to end with joy. Start with joy, end with joy. Amen. This takes some learning because what happens to us as human beings is a trial comes. Things start looking down. You get a bad report. You get a piece of mail. Somebody gives you a phone call. You hear a report. You hear about somebody. And all of a sudden, you begin to get discouraged And depressed and your world's falling apart and everything's breaking to pieces and uh, you expect it to end well. See, you know what? When you begin to understand the nature of God and realize that the process of God is through everything I go through, God's going to make me better. God's going to take me places I can't go without these trials. God's going to move me through the tumultuous teenage years, if you would, spiritually, into a place of completeness, balance, and maturity through this trial. Then you can just say, hey, you know what? No use worrying about it. No use stressing about it. It's not going to make it any better. Yeah, I'll do my best. I'll keep working. I'll keep doing everything I can to make it better. But in the meantime, I'm just going to chill. And I'm going to relax. I'm going to believe God. And I'm going to have joy. Amen. In the midst of the trial. But you can't do that unless you account for it. Unless you're able to evaluate it in the light of what God's doing in your life. A lot of times... This is something people don't learn for a long time. And then they learn the lesson and then they unlearn it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, wow, God, you did great things through that situation that looked like there was no positive. Look what you did. And then the next trial comes, you're like, ah! God, you don't love me anymore. Is it worth it living for God? This Christian life's not what it's all cracked up to. See, we forget. So the reality is, is we have to learn to enter into our trials with joy, recognizing, hey, God's going to get glory out of this. God's going to make me better out of this. Uh, and so I can evaluate and account for it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So how can one rejoice in the midst of a trial? How can you have this joy? And the answer to that is in the second one, which is no, the second imperative. No, James chapter 1, verse 3. It says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So you've got to know this. In order to count or account or evaluate, you've got to know this. And if you know this, not think this or not this might be the case, but when you know this, then you can count it joy. When you know that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And uh, so what is it that we should know to make our trials bearable? We've got to know that our faith is always going to be tested. Abraham was tested. But the testing of God brought out the best in Abraham. Testing works for us, not against us. The trying of our faith first Peter 1 7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold That perisheth though. It be tried with fire might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ the trial Of your faith the word trying could have been translated the approval of your faith. It's like you remember the 1849 the gold prospectors came out to California And they went out searching for gold. They had to go to the assayer's office when they had a found, a find. And they had their stuff. They dug out of the mountain or got in the creek and they say, hey, is this real gold? And then he either approves it or disapproves it. He tries it. And the trial of the gold was what made it worth something. You could come in there with it. It may or may not be worth anything. But the assayer... Or the evaluation or the trying of it, the approval of it, made it worth something. The approval is precious. The Bible says that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. And when trials are rightly used, they help to make us mature. What does it produce? The Bible says it produces patience. Produces patience and endurance. The trial of our faith. If you know this, that the trial of your faith produces patience, it will enable you to count it as joy. Now, um, patience is is important. And immature people are always impatient. Children are impatient. Are we there yet? No. Are, Are we there yet? No, are we almost there? We're halfway there. Yeah, but are we almost there? No, we're halfway there. Are we almost there? No, we're not almost there. We're halfway there. Are we there yet? Are we almost there? Impatience is a characteristic of immaturity. And impatience and unbelief go together. God wants us to be patient because patience is the key to every other blessing. Remember the sin of impatience? Some of you remember when Brother Costa was here, he taught about the sin of impatience in the life of Abraham. Abraham's impatience caused him to try to help God by having a child with Hagar. And it was supposed to be his seed. That child was Ishmael. And those of you that know anything about the troubles and the trials in the Middle East today... Between the Arab nations and Israel. Did you know that all goes back to the fact that Abraham was not patient with God? So I don't care who the president is. If he comes into office saying I'm going to fix the Middle East problem. Laugh him to scorn. Because that problem goes way, way back. All the way to the house of Abraham. Because of the sin of impatience he would not wait on God to fulfill the promise. It brought a lot of problems into his life. Moses experienced something similar. Because of his impatience, he killed a man. He had to leave Pharaoh's house and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So impatience can cause tremendous problems in your spiritual life. And patience is the key to unlocking God's blessings and favor. And the only way that God can develop patience and character in our lives is through trials. I wish I had a better message for you tonight. I wish I had something more encouraging for you. I can't give you a book that you can read that will give you patience. There's not a prayer that you can pray that will give you patience. The Bible says you've got to know this, that the trying of our faith worketh patience. This is how patience is put in to our lives. And when you go through the trial, what is God doing? He's trying to produce this character trait, and this patience in your life. So there's no class you can go to, no prayer you can pray. You've got to go through difficulties and learn to trust God and obey God through the difficulties. If you believe me, say amen. amen. And when you know this, if you don't get this, you're going to face every trial with stress. If you don't know that the trial of your faith worketh patience, then you won't be able to enter into your trials with joy and come out of your trials with joy. But once you begin to understand the character of God, is that He's making me a better person. And the trials that I go through, not that God sent them my way, but God had to allow them to come my way. There had to be permission there. And the trial of my faith makes me more patient. And it's one of the greatest virtues and character uh, issues that can be developed in my life for me to be able to access God's blessings and favor in my life. And when you know this, you can go through your trials joyfully because you know the end result. That's why studying the Bible is so awesome. That's why reading through the Bible this year is so awesome. How many have been encouraged reading through the Bible this year? You read the story of Abraham. You read the story of Joseph. You read the story of Moses, you read the story of David, on and on, the story of our Lord and Savior. You discover from all of these lives that God has a purpose in trials. Did anybody get that? You look at these lives... Abraham went through a trial, but God had a purpose. God was perfecting him. God was repositioning him. Joseph went through trials, but without the trials, he doesn't end up in Pharaoh's house, in the second to Pharaoh, and he is not able to bless his family and preserve the righteous seed, and God's not able to reposition them for protection in Egypt, where they can thrive in the midst of another trial, which is the persecution of the Egyptian people, which looks like a bad day, but in the midst of it, they are thriving and flourishing and growing and all the stories of Scripture, these great characters, you understand. And some of us miss it. We miss it. We miss it. We miss it. And when we go through a trial, we think God hates us. Amen. But remember, every trial, God doesn't waste a hurt. God doesn't waste a trial. God doesn't waste the difficulty. But what we go through in our life, God's trying to improve us and perfect us and help us grow up and help us become those that can that can encourage others and bring others Through trials and help them in their difficulties. Amen. Amen. So when we study the Bible, we can be encouraged as we begin to see the character of God. Brother uh, uh, Franco Platanea preached here on a Wednesday night uh, several weeks ago about the character of God, learning the patterns of God. And when you learn the patterns of God, you're not as frustrated with Him. Just like if you're living with a spouse and you never really got to know them and they do certain things and just makes you mad. But when you begin to know them, then you understand you can predict and you can predict what's going to happen. That's why you can go into trials with joy because you're able to now predict that God's got something good he's going to bring out of this. It may hurt for a while. I may be embarrassed for a little bit. Uh, It may make me angry. I may not know why I'm going through this, and it may be a while before I know what's going through this. But one thing I've learned about God by studying His Word and looking at my life is that there's something good going to come out of it. So I can enter into this with joy. I can count it joy when I go into this type of a trial or this type of a situation in my life. It, it, it's a diverse trial. It may be different than the last one. It may be a different color. It may be a different design. But God's weaving it all together. All things are working together for my good. God's making something beautiful out of my life and I've got to learn to trust him because i know from the word of god he never wastes a hurt he doesn't waste a trial he doesn't waste a difficulty but he's perfecting come on somebody god is perfecting you've got to learn to trust him when you trust him and you know he loves you then you can go through trials with joy amen praise the lord An understanding mind gives us power over Satan. You have power over Satan when you know that the trial of our faith worketh patience. If you don't know this, Satan can beat up on you all day long. He can defeat the ignorant believer. Satan can really beat up on the believer who's going through a trial and doesn't know this. But when you know this, Satan's lost all his ammunition against you. And he tries to discourage you. And you say, hey, God's doing something good here. God's going to get glory out of this. You just wait. Just chill, relax. Your family's stressing out. Your friends are stressed out. Hey, God's going to get glory out of this. I can chill and relax. That doesn't mean it feels good. That doesn't mean I might not shed some tears. But I understand that I can go through this with joy. Understand, joy is different than happiness. You can have joy and not be giggling. You can have joy and not be like just bouncing around. Hey, look at this, my house. I just lost my house and I got the pink slip from my boss today. I got the pink slip. No. But joy is knowing that God has a purpose in it. You can't tell me that when Jesus was on the cross and the spikes went into his hands and feet, that he was excited about it and said, oh, this feels so good. But the Bible says for the joy that was set before him, he endured it and he's our example. That God is putting us through a process. And if I know this, then the devil has no ammunition against me. But if I don't have this figured out, then he can beat up on me. And some devil's been beaten up on you because you don't know this. And God's trying to get it through to you. That the trying of your, know this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Know this, there's a product for what you're going through. Know this, God's not going to waste this pain and this hurt. God's going to bring something beautiful out of it. If you believe it, put your hands together and clap to the Lord right now. Amen. Amen. So you count, you know, and then you let, which is the key of uh, a surrendered will. James 1.4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Then verse 9 says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because of the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, But it withereth with the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Amen. Let the brother of low degree rejoice when he is exalted. Let the rich in that he is made low. Let it, let it, let it be, let it happen. The key is a surrendered will. So you count it joy because of what you know, and you surrender your will and let God do what he wants to do. God cannot help our character without our cooperation. And when we resist, he can't do what he wants to do in us and through us. When we resist God, what happens? He chasteneth us because he loves us into submission. There's a rare and extreme case sometimes with uh, kids that have, what do you call them? Uh, uh, No, kids kids that are uh, strong-willed, strong-willed child where there has to be that chastening to the point of submission. And this is the way with God. We can resist, resist, resist. But if we will submit, he can accomplish his purpose in us. God is looking to finish the product. He wants you to grow up. Amen? Amen. He doesn't want you to spend the next 20 years in your adolescence. My Lord, can you imagine that? 20 years of adolescence, your voice changing, pimples, awkwardness, 20 years of that. God wants to finish the work and complete the work. It's a tragedy. It would be a tragedy if a child would remain as a little baby. We enjoy watching them grow up and mature. But we often shelter ourselves from trials and never grow up. Amen? Amen. And so God has to build character in us. This is a point I want you to get real quick. Until, Before He can use us. God worked for us on the cross. He works in us in this process of change, our mature, maturation called sanctification. And His purpose is that He would work through us. Amen? That He would use us. How many want to be a vessel in God's hands that He could use? Amen. But the point is, is God can't work through us until he work, He's allowed to work in us. And He doesn't work in us until we permit Him. Until we submit Until we let is the key word. Until we let the Lord have his way and uh, work in us. Amen. So uh, uh, he can't work in us without our consent. And a mature person does not argue with God's will. And uh, in in the uh, maturing process of a baby, one of the difficult times is the weaning of a child. Because that child is taken off the breast or off the milk, the bottle. And suddenly gets the impression, Mama, don't love me anymore. (laughs) No, it's not that she doesn't love. It's like she knows you got to go to the next step. And it's going to be good for you ultimately because it's going to bring you maturity and liberty by moving to that next. But the baby cries because Mama doesn't love me anymore. And it's a difficult stage. But what happens is that trials wean us from childish things and help us to grow up. And just like the baby in the crib throwing a fit and screaming and crying, we find ourselves that way sometimes as we go through a difficult time and a trial. But God is causing us to grow up. And it's not because he doesn't love us, but it's because he knows that the natural process, we should mature. And the natural process is that we should be able to have liberty and be able to operate and be able to grow and become productive and effective. So the last imperative is ask. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So if you want to know what to pray about in this process, if you want to know what to ask with a believing heart, the Bible says ask God for wisdom. Not for knowledge, but for wisdom. Somebody said knowledge is the uh, understanding of how to take things apart, but the wisdom is the ability to put things back together again. Ask God for wisdom, not strength or grace or deliverance. Pray for wisdom. We need wisdom so we don't waste the chances or opportunities that God's giving for us to mature. God, give me wisdom through this. All right? When you're in the midst of the trial... Sometimes we ask God to make the trial end or we ask God to Rearrange things. The number one thing we should pray for is God. Give me wisdom Because if I don't have wisdom, I may miss a great opportunity to grow spiritually here Amen I may miss the chance Of what you're doing in my life and what you are working in my life and uh, uh Ask in faith, the Bible says, without fear. Ask in faith. Because if you ask without faith, then you can't expect to receive anything. The greatest enemy to unanswered prayer is unbelief. The greatest enemy to unanswered prayer is unbelief. And the Bible says a double-minded man is one who shifts between yes and no. A person who shifts between the report of the Lord and the report of this world. The person that shifts between faith and unbelief and faith and unbelief. The Bible says when you're constantly bobbing back and forth and shifting like that, then you can't expect to receive from God. But when you pray, pray in faith. Amen? Amen. Don't be like a cork bobbing on the waves, being affected by what's happening around you, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. That's a sign of Of immaturity. Amen. But the Bible says in verse 12 that the man that endures to the end will be blessed. The man that endures through the trial will be blessed. So if it starts in joy, it's going to end good. Amen. When you come through the trial, if you're able to count it joy because of what you know, amen, because of what you understand about God's character and how that He's working patience in your life, and if you pray for wisdom through the trial, then you can come through. Amen. You can come through and you can be blessed. I said it before. I'll say it again. Your outlook determines the outcome. So go in with joy. Go in with faith. Go in trusting God and know that when you come through, everything's going to be all right. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. You can remain joyful because you love God and you know God loves you and you know God's not out to harm you. Amen. So I can be joyful because I know if I'm experiencing pain, it's got to be for my good because God would not intentionally harm me and the child can get through the weaning process if he knows mama still loves him. Mama still, I'll hug you, I'll cuddle you, but you got to learn we're going through a process here that you're growing up and you understand God loves you and you love him. That'll help you through the process. Some things that you got to know when you love God and know that he loves you, you won't fall apart when God permits trials to come your direction. So I want to know, are you secure in God's love? Do you know God loves you? Amen. Sometimes I think we need to sing the old song the kids used to sing. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. That's why I can have joy in the middle of my trial. Because, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And I don't understand it all. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's all going to end. But I know that since Jesus loves me, I can count it all joy. Right in the middle of my trial, I can count it joy. Can I get an amen, somebody? Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God. When Israel came through the Red Sea, when they got to the other side and they saw the corpses of that Egyptian army bobbing on the side of the water there, they began to rejoice. Miriam took out the tambourine. She began to play. They began to sing. The Lord has triumphed victoriously. The horse and the rider hath he cast into the sea. That was the right song, but they were singing it on the wrong side of the Red Sea. Because on the other side, they were like, Moses, you brought us out here to die. Why are we going to go through this? Why are we facing this trial? Why are we in the midst of this difficulty? And I want to encourage you that when you understand that God loves you, and when you know that trials work patience, you can learn to sing the right song on the right side. And before you go through the trial, before you go through the Red Sea, before you face uncertainty, when Pharaoh's at your back and you don't have an answer, you can say, the Lord will triumph, victorious gloriously the horse and the rider will he cast into the sea i might have to go through some hard times i might face some embarrassment and some pain but god's going to get the glory and i'm going to come out better because that's the way that god works let's stand together and clap our hands to the lord hallelujah i feel like praising him right now clap your hands to the lord I want you to shake hands with somebody But before you do here's what I want you to say to them And you're dismissed then I want you to say this much I know God doesn't waste a hurt Can you remember that This much I know God doesn't waste a hurt This much I know God doesn't waste a hurt Amen